Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, joined by J.J. Cooper, here to break down the Phillies system today. J.J., the Phillies made a ton of offseason splashes last year. We saw them trade for J.T. Realmuto, acquire Gene Segura, Andrew McCutcheon, David Robertson, and, oh, yeah, Bryce Harper. On the one hand, it did lead to one of their best seasons in a while. They went 81-81. and It was their first non-losing season since 2012. So in that regard, it was a step forward. But on the other hand, it was way, way short of expectations. They finished in fourth place in the National League East. Manager Gabe Kapler was fired after the season. When you look at the Phillies right now, how do you kind of assess them as an organization, given the lack of a winning record at the major league level and the farm system that has graduated some talent recently, but it's definitely not the deepest group heading into 2020? I think if you look at it, this is a, a, a reload, a rebuild, whatever you want to call it, that's kind of in some danger. Um, and the reason I say that is, is that I feel like they actually had, their offseason was outstanding. Uh, you know, acquiring Real Muto like they did. They've added the, the best catcher in the National League, really probably the best catcher in baseball, Bryce Harper. It wasn't a MVP season from Bryce Harper, but Bryce Harper – was one of the best players, you know, on the Phillies last year. The, the problem they have, and, and McCutcheon, if he had, you know, before he got hurt, McCutcheon was giving them a good year too. The problem they have is, is that, okay, Scott Kingery took a big step forward. Credit to him, credit to them, because, you know, that's a guy that they developed. But, and Aaron Nola continues to kind of be the, uh, the ace of the staff, and, and credit to him and them, that's a homegrown guy but they are getting way less production than they need from the rest of this lineup, from the rest of this pitching staff. They're just really, other than Harper in the outfield and Real Muto at catcher, they're, they're just not, they're not exceptional anywhere. Uh, they're not, there's not a whole lot of places that they're awful, but, but you do look at it and you say, okay, you know, where does this team go from here? And the, the worry, again, they, without, you know, they could spend money. They could spend significantly, add a uh, frontline starter, maybe even bulk up the lineup some more. If they do things like that, obviously that is a way that they could, and, and to the Phillies credit, they have spent money. They've, they've been willing to spend money. But when you look at this young core that they kind of developed and, and was hoping to kind of bring to the forefront together, and you look beyond that at kind of uh, the farm system right now. And I, I, I don't know how they, I don't see an easy path for them to catch the Braves and the Nationals. And, you know, the reality of it is, is I, I think they could stay, you know, they, they haven't stayed ahead of the Mets, but I think they could because I do think they're a little younger. And I think 
the Mets also are, are probably the let the Mets have less willingness to spend money than the Phillies do. But but overall, I do look at this this team, this organization right now, and they're not as far along as a team that had the 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 dip and the significant dip that they had for a significant period of time. The the rebuild, the reload is is not on schedule in my mind. You mentioned a lot of the young players taking steps backward. Reese Hoskins took a big step backward this past year. Michael Franco never took the step forward. That was hope from him. Scott Kingery was better this past season, but it still was not an overwhelming season by any means. And then really for me, you look at the pitching staff. I remember during our preseason preview podcast, uh, we at Baseball America picked the Phillies to finish outside of the postseason picture looking in. And we talked about it on the preview podcast, in part because the starting pitching, guys, they acquired as prospects like Vince Velasquez and Zach Eflin in trades have ranged from okay to below average starters. Jake Arrieta has struggled with injury and has not been great on his own accord. Nick Pavetta has not been very good. Jared Eikhoff had an ERA almost at six last year. Outside of Aaron Nola, there's not a lot of trustworthy arms on the staff. And when you look forward for help coming up the farm system, you have a really, really good pitching prospect in Spencer Howard. But beyond him, it's not like the Calvary's coming. To me, at least from the outside looking in, the pitching staff is where the Phillies are going to need to bring in a lot of outside help, even with a really good pitching prospect on the way in Spencer Howard. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we know that the calculus is, is that if you have, if you have three really good pitching prospects, you, you should feel pretty good that you're going to get one and maybe uh, you know, uh, a solid second uh, helper out of that. The Phillies don't have that kind of depth of numbers. They're really what it it's a very top, a very top of the top ten heavy system right now. And that seems that's a really poor warning on my part. But Howard, Bohm, okay, their first round pick last year, Bryson Stott, are I would say really the 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 top guys. I mean, that's why we ranked one to three, but but beyond that, you get to Francisco Morales Adonis Medina. After that, we're talking about guys that just don't have an exceptional amount of, of even trade value right now. They're guys who either project probably more as role players or, or guys who uh, are, are really far away with, you know, kind of a wide array of, of potential outcomes. Well, if you're the Phillies and where they are right now, um, I, I fear safe to say 80, 81, 82, 83, 84 wins doesn't do it next year. 80, you know, that's going to be, there is a, this is a, an organization that's kind of hit the limit on how long you could be rebuilding. There is an expectation among fans, I think a rightful expectation, that this is a team that, that needs to be winning in 2020. This is not really uh, a team that is structured to say, oh, no, the, the bright, you know, the brightest years are, are far ahead. When they acquired JT Realmuto, it was for 2019 and 2020. And so that's the, the clock is ticking. And yeah, they're going to need to spend some money. They're, need, they're going to need to be players in free agency again this offseason because I think that there's no way that they can look at an evaluation of this team right now and say, yeah, by staying close to standing pat, there's a, a way, a path to winning the, uh, the NL East next year. So with that, we did identify starting pitching and third base as two positions of need. Lo and behold, their top two prospects that you put together here for the Phillies for Baseball America are a starting pitcher and a third baseman. 
Spencer Howard and Alec Bohm are the top two prospects in the system. When you look at this group as the top tier of the Philly system, how good can they be? What kind of impact at the major league level are we talking about with these two players? I mean, Howard, you know, you, you saw him in, you know, I think pretty recently. Howard is a guy who, if it all comes together, I mean, he could be a frontline starter. Now, again, that is a, a highly risky demographic, you know, as far as guys reaching that level. Um, it often takes pitchers who reach the majors several years to kind of put it together to reach that point. But, I mean, that is an ex- – Howard has all the talent to do that. Boom. I would describe as kind of the, the flip side of Howard, where Howard is kind of this, if it all breaks together, it all comes together right, he can really be something. I feel very confident that Alec Bohm's going to hit. I, I, I think he, you know, he showed that in college. He's shown that so far in his pro career. As you mentioned, third base is an opening. That's where I'm not so certain. I, I really struggle to find a whole lot of scouts who really expect that Bohm will be able to stay at third base. Um, I will, I always do caveats. And my caveat here is, is that there are a number of guys playing positions in the majors who were not expected to stay there, uh, you know, as they moved up the ladder. So it is possible you kind of trade off some defense in many cases for the offense. But but Alec Bohm is really tall for a third baseman. And on top of that, he's not, like Troy Glaus was really tall, but Troy Glaus was exceptionally nimble for a really tall third baseman he actually was capable of playing a little bit of shortstop because he was so you know so just so capable so nimble out there and just really made it all work Alec Bohm's really long-legged I think he's a guy who it it is more likely that you end up seeing him as a first baseman or a corner outfielder and and with that being the case well that's a little tough for the Phillies kind of going forward because as you mentioned they have Reese Hoskins at first base, and we've kind of established Reese Hoskins is a first baseman. He was in the AL. He could also DH, but but left field is not really somewhere you want him long term. Alec Bohm probably his best position is first base. Well, that that could be kind of a little bit of an issue here because if he can't, I, they have every reason to try to keep him at third base because if he can't play third base, then they have a little bit of a positional logjam, which is is less than ideal, especially right now, because Reese Hoskins is not coming off of that rookie year where you're selling, you know, uh, if you're trying to trade one of these guys, you're, you're, you're selling high on, on Hoskins coming off of a monster year with many years left before he reaches arbitration, which obviously adds to a trade value. You're, you're now talking about a situation where Hoskins is coming off of, of a lesser year. He's now um, getting more expensive. And so the trade value for him's lessened. And Really, if you're the Phillies, you know, you're, if you're trading Alec Bohm, which I don't think they would want to do right now, if you are, you want to be getting something that's a difference maker for right now to do so. And, and that's probably a, an unlikely situation. We mentioned these are the clear top two in the system, both top 100 prospects. Bryson Stott, when we talked earlier, you mentioned him kind of in this upper tier as well. How do you assess Stott, the 14th overall pick in this year's draft out of UNLV? He's got to be like below, right below them for now, at least, because you are talking about – when we talk about Howard, we're talking about a guy who's, who's had some upper-level you know, success in the minors, had a good stint in the AFL. You, you put it all together and you say with, with Howard, it's like, okay, can he contribute in 2020? Yeah, I think there's a, a decent shot. 
Alec Bohm started last year in low A, but he made it to high than double A. I, I would expect that he'll start the year probably in triple A. And he could, you know, contribute at some point late in 2020. And, you know, he logically fits in in 2021 on the Phillies, you know, big league club. Stott's a year or two behind that. And really, you know, comes off of a, a very solid college career, fine in his debut, but really hasn't cleared several of those uh, developmental hurdles that Howard and Bohm have already cleared. So it's not that he doesn't have the upside of an Alec Bohm. They're, they're obviously very different players, but I, I do think he has that kind of upside. It's just that Bohm has, has checked off boxes that, that Bryson Stott hadn't had a chance to check off yet. Once he shows that he can handle a ball, and then once he shows that he's solid in double A, well, I, I wouldn't be shocked at all if Bryson Stott was just as highly regarded next year at this time as Alec Bohm is right now. I mean, he can, he's, I think, got a little bit more defensive versatility. He doesn't have, obviously, the same bat that, Bryce, that Alec Bohm does. Alec Bohm is a, a much bigger, more physical guy. But I think value-wise, they could be very similar. But he was just drafted, and he doesn't have that same uh, experience, pro experience level right now. And that's a big thing with him, especially coming out of UNLV, where he was playing, for the most part, second-tier competition in a very, very hitter-friendly environment. I knew a couple of evaluators who liked him as a player, weren't sure on the bat. So really have to see what his future is and where he ends up playing and if he's going to hit enough to be an everyday big leaguer. Even if that happens, we're still looking at a pretty steep drop-off. You alluded to it earlier uh, as you get into four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten in the system. It's really not a very inspiring group. Uh, a couple of guys who at one point were considered top 100 prospects but really fell off. Uh, Luis Garcia, the shortstop, and Mickey Moniak, 2016 number one overall pick. You have some interesting guys who have touched the major leagues like Enel De Los Santos, but there's no one here that really strikes you as an impact player, more potential complementary pieces. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, I think so. Um, you know, it's a combination of guys, and I struggled. When you get especially 8, 9, 10 on this list, I could reshuffle it and put out a different 8, 9, 10 and, <laughs> and, and probably make an argument as just as convincing that these are the 8, 9, 10 because what we're talking about at this point is the, the difference between the guys who are on this list and aren't is pretty minor. Um, and, I, and that's not really, to be honest, that's not a, a, a giant selling point of the organization because when you talk, I mean, what our process on this always involves a lot of talking to people outside of an organization, talking to, to scouts, front office execs for, for other teams and kind of the feedback I got, I mean, cause I was sending this around and kind of asking those questions and saying, do I have the right 10? And a lot of the feedback I got was, I may disagree with you on one of these guys, but there's really not that much difference between that guy and the guy that I would maybe argue for. And really all these players are projecting probably more as backups, you know, or they're really far away guys who, um, you know, have a lot of uh, questions, question marks still surrounding them. So if you want to go the high upside route, there is some, you know, that, that, their short season club was pretty good. You know, you could go some of the guys on that team. Um, and, you know, you could also, the, the way I did was a little bit more weighted towards the guys who've, who've done something in full season ball. And that's why you, you get the Moniacs and De Los Santos on there. De Los Santos, like you said, has played in the majors. He hadn't 
played particularly well in the majors yet, but he has pitched there. Um, but there are a lot of guys on this list who, even in the top 10, and when we get to the top 30 for the handbook, it'll even be more so, who they really, they reside in either the groups of projects as a backup, you know, probably more than a starter or is three plus years away. And those are your kind of your two combos. You don't have a whole lot of guys who have cleared a ball project as regulars and, you know, and, and fit on this list. The, the ones who do are, are sitting right at the top of it in many cases. Which leads us into the big picture issue. As we mentioned, the Phillies have not had a winning season since 2011. Let's say just for argument's sake that Alec Baum stays at third base, plugs in there and is a success. Spencer mm -hmm. Howard gets to the majors, sticks as a starter, and is potentially even a number two starter behind Aaron Nola. Let's add Bryson Stott in there with Cesar Hernandez becoming a free agent after the 2020 season and say Bryson Stott plugs in at one of the middle infield spots with Gene Segura. Even if their top three prospects all hit, they all get to the majors, they all become starters, and they all make an impact, you're still short for the most part an everyday left fielder, uh, depending on if Adam Hazley can continue to develop. You're still short, really, a true center fielder. Scott Kingery played there last year, uh, but obviously he projects better in the middle infield long term, particularly at second base. And you're still short at least two starters and, and maybe three, depending on how much faith you have in Zach Eflin, Vince Velasquez, et cetera. Where do the Phillies really go from here? Because it seems like even best case scenario, they're still going to be short compared to the Braves on talent. They don't have the pitching the Mets do, and the Mets have been debuting some really good young talent as well. The Nationals are the defending World Series champions. Is there a path to the postseason for this team, and what is it? Yeah, I think there is a path, but, man, it's a, it's a narrow path. Um, okay, so let's start with what you just granted, you know, that, like, let's assume this. Well, that would right there be a very positive indication for their path. If they hit on all three of their top three prospects, that's, that's great news for them, you know, and okay. Well, if that's the case, then, cause as you just said, okay. So if you have Howard and Nola, let's say Nola and Howard, let's be more fair. Like Nola's already done it. If you have Nola and Howard at the front of your rotation. Well, if you're trying to figure out ways to bulk up the back of your rotation, that's less expensive than the front. You know, let's say that you kind of hope that between the, the guys that are already there, the Eflins, the Velasquez's and all, you, you, add another, you add an arm or two. Let's say an arm right now. And you go out there, though, you add two major league vets and you're hoping to, to get an Anibal Sanchez reclamation project like the Braves had a couple of years ago or a Martin Perez reclamation project like the, uh, the Twins did at least for, I'd say, two-thirds of the season last year. You know, so you're, you're looking for a guy like that. You're not looking for a guy to front a rotation. Well, that you can find. Let's say it's, you know, maybe it's convincing, you know, one of those second-tier or third-tier pitchers to come in, in free agency to them. And uh, a lot of it depends on Bryce Harper and uh, Real Muto being, uh, being stars. And, okay, so if you have them as stars, if, if – if Reese Hoskins, he doesn't even have to be their best hitter or their second best, but if he can be their third best hitter and Kingery, you know, whether, let's just say Kingery keeps moving around, but, you know, and, and providing a solid bat with some defensive versatility that gives them 
some depth because it means that if they have an injury somewhere, they can, they can plug him in. Well, all of a sudden, you know, you're not asking a whole lot of other things have to break right because then you're just talking about, again, when you talk about let's, let's add one more corner outfielder. Well, you could probably do that at a reasonably reasonable rate. You can probably find someone to fit that if you do it uh, astutely. Again, just looking up examples from recently, look at what the Rays did with Avisel Garcia last year, guys like that. Like, again, you're not talking about a guy who's going to come in and, and be a four or five war guy, but you're not expecting him to. You're asking someone who could be your fifth or sixth best hitter in the lineup, that kind of thing. Well, all of a sudden, if all these things break right, then maybe they can. Maybe, you know, we're talking about three teams, but realistically, it probably will end up being two of them because there's always something derails for somebody. It usually ends up being the Mets. But, um, but let's say that something goes wrong for one of those teams. You're trying to catch the other two. Well, all of a sudden, maybe this is a team that does get to 93, 94 wins and, and everything broke right. The problem is, is that if we did the same exercise with the Nationals or we did the same exercise with the Braves, and really if we did the same exercise with the Mets, I think we would be relying on less optimistic um, projections. You know, uh, the, it's funny, we were talking in the office about the Braves and like, what are they going to do? Because Donaldson's a free agent. How do they improve their lineup, pitching staff, things like that. But a lot of the, the, the Braves is, is that, okay, just if Acuna, Albies, and, you know, just keep getting better, well, as they reach their mid-20s, then they have a couple of superstars potentially to build around. Then you talk about the Nats, and it's like, okay, will they be able to re-sign Strasburg or not? But even if they don't, uh, a rotation that's fronted by, by Scherzer and, uh, you know, and Corbin, but also has Juan Soto, one of the best young players in baseball, and Trey Turner and guys like that, these are teams that have, have more cornerstones than the Phillies have right now. And, I mean, even the Mets. I mean, the Mets, depending on – no matter what happens kind of on their free agent side, you know, this offseason, I mean, they have, I would say, more cornerstones than these Phillies have right now. That's the – the problem for the Phillies right now is, is from that significant rebuild, they got Aaron Nola. They absolutely hit on that first-round pick. But other than him – I don't see a guy who ended up developing into a cornerstone. And that's as opposed to when we talk about, well, Peter Alonso looks like that kind of guy for the Mets to go with the homegrown. I know they traded for Syndergaard, but, you know, that Syndergaard who they acquired when he was in the low minors and the DeGroms and, and all the world. And you look at the Braves and you look at Acuna and Albies and Freddie Freeman and Mike Soroka. I, the Phillies have to do a better job of developing homegrown players because right now, they don't have their best franchise anchors are guys that they acquired as established big leaguers. They need to find, they really need to develop some, some franchise, you know, cornerstone type guys. And, and so far they have struggled to do that. And they have struggled to do that having had a, a bounty of top 10 picks. You mentioned Cornelius Randolph was a top pick. Mickey Moniak was a top pick and Moniak's still a top 10 prospect in the system. He is seen as a potential major leaguer, but it says that fourth, fifth outfielder. Some of their big international signs have not gone well. Jalen Ortiz was one of those. So there's no question the player development system with the Phillies has room for improvement. But as you mentioned, you have Real Muto and Harper. If Reese Hoskins can have a little bit of a bounce back year, Scott Kingery takes another step forward. I agree with you, there is a path here. It's just difficult to see 
especially without as many young arms as they really need to supplement this rotation long-term, them jumping all three of those teams. But that's why they play the games. We'll see what happens. JJ, any final thoughts on the Phillies, not just the organization, but the system? And what are the reasons for optimism? And is there someone maybe lower that could pop this time next year that fans should at least keep an eye on? And that will help maybe improve this system beyond just the top two or three. Uh, one reason for optimism I would say is, is and I give this credit to the, uh, to the, the ownership and the organization. Like this is a team that has shown a willingness to spend money. And I emphasize that just because, I mean, we are at an era at ma- in major league baseball where there are a large number of teams that, that seem to have a reluctance to even come close to the luxury tax. Um, The Phillies are not one of those. The Phillies are a team that I think will be aggressive in free agency again this offseason. And that that could have significant payoffs for them. Because what we're talking about right now, obviously we do not know what's going to happen in the the offseason. But if they were able to sign a Garrett Cole or a Steven Strasburg or – even like let's take it to the next level in a Zach Wheeler or a, you know even a Madison Bumgarner, if they were able to do that, that rotation immediately gets significantly better because all of a sudden you've added someone who, who has a chance to be a 180 to 200 inning anchor, which put that and Nola together and all of a sudden the rotation looks a whole lot better because right now, it obviously did not work out well for them at all last season as far as making the playoffs. But even if they had, how are they going to match up with the rotation that the Nationals could, you know, could field come postseason, that the rotation that the Cardinals could field or the Dodgers or the Braves? They have to get better in that rotation. And right now the most logical way that they're going to be able to do that is going to involve spending some money. And that is, to me, their, their willingness – I'll put it this way. If you're, the, if you're a Phillies fan going into this offseason, you have a realistic hope that they're going to do that. If you're a Mets fan right now, and many of the same things we're talking about are true for the Phillies or true for the Mets as far as the need to spend some money to really bulk up the big league roster to kind of get it to that next level, I'll ask you. I mean, I, I, I would not be nearly as confident if I was a Mets fan that they're going to spend money in the offseason to significantly upgrade this team. Would, would you agree or, or disagree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, just look at the track record. The Phillies have shown a willingness to spend money and take on money in trades. And I think there's no question that's a point in the Phillies' favor as they look to build for the future. Obviously, it's been a frustrating latter half of the decade, but there is talent here, and we look forward to seeing if some of the top players in this system can take a step forward in the coming years. And I'm sure we look forward to seeing what the Phillies do this offseason as well after all their splashes last offseason. JJ, thank you so much for joining us. This has been another Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For JJ Cooper, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening, everybody. Mm